Hello and welcome to the Bankers Banking Under Pressure podcast series, exploring how the financial services industry is working through the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as other issues that have come to the fore during this time. In this series, we're talking to industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers manage. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker. And my guest this week is Alma Angotti, partner and co-leader of the Global Investigations and Compliance Practice at Guidehouse, to talk about how the financial institutions can use technology to combat human trafficking and forced labor. Thanks for joining me, Alma. I'm delighted to be here, Joy. Thank you for having me. So can you just tell me first off, what does Guidehouse do? So Guidehouse is a consulting firm with three uh, large verticals, uh, energy, healthcare, and financial services, and uh, very significant cybersecurity capabilities, national security capabilities. It was the merger between PwC's public sector business and Navigant Consulting. What are financial institutions, what are their obligations regarding, let's say, financial crime? Um, And then how do they comply with their regulatory obligations? So a lot of people don't realize, Joy, that financial institutions have very significant responsibilities for financial crime globally. In the U.S. and most other countries, there is a statute in the U.S., it's the Bank Secrecy Act, that requires financial institutions to detect and prevent uh, money laundering, terrorist financing, and other kinds of financial crimes. And to do that, there are a series of specific requirements that they have to do to know their customers, to have a compliance officer. But one of the most important aspects of this is they have to have a risk-based program to detect and report transactions that are related to violations of law and regulation. So that's very broad and it's not a passive requirement, it's an active requirement, meaning they have to look for transactions that might be related to criminal activity. So how do banks comply with their regulatory obligations? Obviously, a couple of months ago, there was the FinCEN leaks, which you know showed that the banks were uh, reporting these suspicious activities, um, but you know what more should they be doing? The banks are supposed to identify, detect, and report transactions that they think are unusual or may have what we like to call red flag indicators of criminal activity. They're not proving it, but those reports go to law enforcement agencies all over the world. Uh, almost as financial crime intelligence uh, for them to follow up on and do investigations. Now, what, what financial institutions are supposed to do is if they file a lot of suspicious activity reports on a customer, they're supposed to consider whether they want to continue doing business with that customer. But most of the regulations are very vague as to when they have to do that. Uh, and remember, the the filing requirement for filing a suspicious transaction report or suspicious activity report is very low. It's a reason to suspect. So the banks don't necessarily 
they don't need to prove the criminal activity and they don't have to. So what they're doing is they're raising their hand and they're they're telling law enforcement, look, we haven't we think this is a problem. Now, depending on how significant the red flags are, depending on how many suspicious activity reports you file on a customer, many banks will exit a customer relationship at a certain point in time that varies from bank to bank. There are different regulatory guidelines in that area, but it's not very specific. So, but I do agree with you that one of the main things that those FinCEN reports showed was banks are doing a lot of work in this area. This is a very expensive compliance regime to implement property. Uh, they use a lot of technology to identify anomalous transactions. That technology can be very expensive. The main pieces of this puzzle are the know your customer and customer due diligence obligations. When you, when you open an account, and you know this probably from opening your own bank accounts, uh, depending on how complex an entity you are, where you live, where you're doing business, the banks will ask you for a lot of information about what you're planning to do with the account. What do you anticipate the transactions flow to be? So that's the first step. Who are you doing business with? Are you an individual? Are you a regulated financial institution? Are you a business? Then they have very complex transaction monitoring technology, which tries to identify transactions that don't make sense for you. So for example, I am an individual. If I started to, my bank started to see me doing uh, multiple large wire transfers to Cyprus, that is not usual for me. They would probably pick that up as an anomaly. If I had, when setting up the account, told them I am a global property manager and I, I rent vacation properties all over the world, including Cyprus, those transactions might make sense mm -hmm. to the bank, and they would probably not file a, a suspicious activity report for those transactions. Let's target uh, and, and look further into sort of human trafficking, human smuggling, and forced labor. Can you sort of give us um, a framework and how that is defined? Sure. And... This is a, a very big global problem, and I, I think it's gratifying to a lot of us to see it becoming a real focus of both law enforcement and financial institutions in their uh, financial crime compliance. So it's kind of important to, although they're often lumped together and they both can be a problem, human smuggling is uh, the act of transporting unauthorized foreign aliens across international borders. Uh, it's often done with the consent of the subject and it may be in connection with employment practices, the forced labor that you, you want to be taken to another jurisdiction mm. because you're going to have a construction job or a hostess job. And when you get there, that's not what it turns out to be. Trafficking 
it's actually the sale of human beings by sometimes sadly fa family members, criminal networks, terrorist organizations for, again, for forced labor, sex trafficking, for child labor. Uh, and, and one of the, the main difference with that is there typically is not consent of the person being trafficked. It's a huge global problem. Um, I think it's estimated to be $150 billion a year in criminal proceeds. 16 million of those are put into the forced labor category as opposed to the trafficking category. And this is, I think, incredibly sad. About 70% of the victims are women and children. And it sounds like it's a massive problem. Uh, and obviously, in this situation as well, there's a lot of people that are suffering that are victims. So how, how do banks really identify the proceeds of, let's say, crime generally, but, you know, more specifically human trafficking um, and human smuggling? How can they do that and actually really figure out where this is happening, where the money is going? There are two sort of inflection points where a financial institution can detect human trafficking and human smuggling. One is a person facing inflection point and one is a technology. And so I'll talk first about the person. There are situations at banks, at money services businesses, those are the international money remitter institutions where the people in the financial institution will see red flags of human trafficking. That problem is alleviated by training of that frontline staff. And I'll show you what I mean. If you see especially young women or even men coming into your bank, coming into your money transmitter agent, and somebody is standing behind them and they appear to be nervous and they appear to be taking direction from another person, that can be an indication that that is a human trafficking situation. Have you ever been to Las Vegas, Nevada? I have. If you go into the ladies' restroom at the airport in Las Vegas, there is a sticker on every stall that says, if you are the victim of human trafficking, call this number. And why do they put it into the ladies' restroom? That is the only place they can go without their handler, unless the handler's a woman. Mm -hmm. On the inside of the stall. So even if your handler's a woman, they're not gonna go in there with you. It's that kind of training that can tell you if the person that who is your customer might be a victim. For the, the transactions, this can be very difficult to find for a financial institution because a lot of times those transactions will look very normal. And I'll give you an example. So um, the human trafficker opens a bank account saying he is an event planning business. He might even have a website that says we're event planning businesses. So you're the bank and you see payments to hotels. That makes sense. You see payments for airfare. That makes sense. You see payroll. That makes sense. Only if you did more of an investigation and 
and looked and found out that that event planner's phone number uh, and maybe even the website or the owners were linked to advertisements in publications that advertise sex for sale or escort services, would you understand that maybe that they're not an event planner? Mm-hmm. So it can be it can be very difficult to find. There's other sorts of transaction indications that the banks can look for are you might have a group of customers who all share the same phone number. And that's because it's not their phone number. It's the trafficker's phone number or even the smuggler's phone number. Uh, You might see lots of cash transactions. A lot of times it will be the time of day that it's deposited, like very early in the morning. You can also see, depending on how much of the customer's business you have access to, like do they have all their accounts with you? Perhaps they are paying a very small amount of payroll tax for the number of employees that they claim to have, meaning that many of them are off the books, maybe smuggled, maybe trafficked. You also sometimes will see the customers cashing their what are purported to be payroll checks, but depositing a lot of the cash back in to the employer's account, right? Because one of the things that happen, even in human smuggling, is the people they have paid to bring them to the job, to the country, will take huge amounts of their money out to repay for the smuggling. Um, And that keeps them tied. They can't leave because they don't have money. You also have issues of the traffickers and the smugglers taking uh, possession of the identity documents that the victims have so that Mm. they they can't go. And in the cases where the victims are undocumented, they're afraid to leave. They're afraid they're going to be arrested for being undocumented. So it's a it's a very complex problem. It's hard to find, but but banks are are doing a good job. I'll tell you institutions that are doing a particularly good job um, are some of the cryptocurrency exchanges in conjunction with law enforcement and some very sophisticated blockchain tracing technology, they can trace cryptocurrencies from dark web sex markets and child pornography. There was just a big um, action brought by the US government against a a big child porn ring in in, uh, South Korea. Because that's quite interesting because a lot of people seem to think that uh, in actual fact, you know, cryptocurrency is a way to really uh, launder the money and make it untraceable in some ways. But it sounds like an actual fact you can do actually quite a bit of tracing with that. It is interesting because cryptocurrency, it's like cash, but with a GPS chip on it. So I can give you 10,000 Bitcoin and they might not know me or they might not know who you are either, but they can see that it went from me to you. And so if I have obtained it in a child porn ring uh, and you try to cash that Bitcoin out for fiat currency or deposit it in in a regulated exchange, 
they can trace it back to me. So it is, it's really very, it's very interesting. It's more pseudo-anonymous in some ways, but more traceable in others. To me, it sounds a little bit, for banks, it's a bit like a little uh, trying to find a needle in a haystack, right? Sifting through all these transactions and trying to make those links. You know, what technology is, is helping to sort of break through um, and really um, help banks to identify these kind of patterns of behavior? So there are a couple of things, databases of information that may, that are created by not-for-profits that they make available to banks. Uh, for example, and I'll, I will admit I'm on the advisory board for the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, and they collect information so that you at the bank can run your database against the database of known sex trafficking organizations, right? For those matching phone numbers, those matching addresses, those matching post office box, those sorts of things. They're also starting to use um, machine learning and link analysis and artificial intelligence to sift through all of that hay and find the needle. For example, transaction systems that will bring in outside data and structured data and um, missing persons data and uh, find that the event planning business also has a relationship with another entity that is actually taking out the ads for sex trafficking or is actually a service that brings in people from abroad who may or may not be coerced or may or may not be exploited. So it's it's new and it's it's not well developed yet, but we're seeing institutions starting to do this as particularly when they have oh certain high risk businesses, certain high risk geographies. Um, those sorts of things that are, that are high risk for human trafficking and human smuggling. So my last question is really about, you know, what comes next? What do you think, how can banks either work better together or better with regulators or with, uh, you know, prosecution services um, to really fight against human trafficking um, and forced labor and the pro and, you know, yeah, stop the money laundering that happens around that. <laughs> So, you know, these technology solutions, including the AI, the machine learning, can be very expensive. But there are other non-technology things that, that banks and financial institutions can do. One is to take advantage of, again, some of these databases that are out there that they can use in their investigative protocols to detect something that might be anomalous. The other thing that they can do and we recommend this to our clients frequently, is some of your analysts, get a small group of your analysts and really train them on human trafficking typologies, right? Have some people in your organization who really know this. You can work with law enforcement. Law enforcement all over the world tends to be very happy to come in and help train because they benefit from it, right? Because if you spot something, they have that intelligence, then they may not be able to spot it because you're seeing the transactions. So some intensive training for a 
sort of a specialized investigative group within your financial intelligence unit at the bank can be a very effective way and, and not as expensive as trying to redo your whole transaction monitoring system for an AI overlay or a link analysis overlay. Um, and that can really help people. I think the other thing that's happening is law enforcement agencies around the world are, are understanding that the victims are victims. In the past, in many human trafficking and human smuggling investigations, it's actually the victims who are punished. They're deported. They're sometimes jailed for being undocumented mm. instead of actually punishing the traffickers. So I think we're seeing more of a focus globally on treating the victims as victims. And there are, again, lots of groups doing work with them and treating the perpetrators as the transnational organized criminals that they are. Well, thank you so much, Alma. I thought that was so interesting. And thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Thanks again. Thank you, Joy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.